Hi there, this is Cindy Tonkin. I'm the Consultants Consultant. I work with data science teams, helping them work even smarter, faster and nicer. If you're brilliant and you want to be even better, this is the podcast for you. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, today I have a Glenn Bell. Glenn and I have known each other for, ooh, 10, 15? 15, I think. 15 years? Yeah. Uh, we used to improvise together and we still do sometimes not even on a stage. Yeah, like today. <laughs> yeah, like today. Um, so Glenn has been in data for a very long time. You're mm-hmm. the head of the Data Management Association. Tell me, what, yes, tell me about Dharma. Dharma. Mm-hmm. So Dharma's a not-for-profit professional association. And if you're interested in data, you should come to Dharma. It uh, has monthly meetings in Sydney, except for January, when everybody's away on holidays. It's great for networking, they're very educational. And Dharma also has what's known as the Data Management Body of Knowledge, DMBOC, which you can buy off Amazon. And there's a certification program called the Certified Data Management Professional, as CDMP. Wow. Do you have all those calls? I do, yes. Wow. (laughs) Do you do anything with them? I, I, I love the data, data management body of knowledge all the time. Dan Box, your, your I friend? I did, yeah, yes. It's your Bible. Yes, it's <laughs> Every wild. night before you go to sleep, yes. you, you pray yes. to the DM Box. Yes. <laughs> That's right, exactly. Yes, you have Vespers and all that kind of stuff. Um, So, uh, because Glenn is is involved in Dharma, he's also, he was just telling me something about it, and I thought we could launch, we could start with that. Tell me about Data School, Data Data School. School. Yes, so the Data School uh, comes from the United Kingdom, and it's it's a wonderful program for getting into the data industry. So, imagine you wanted to become a data analyst. Most people would think, well, I've done my undergraduate degree, I'll go back to uni and do a postgraduate qualification, mm-hmm. um, which is fine, but the disadvantage of that is that typically you'll be incurring fees for the course and you're not earning anything while mm-hmm. you're doing the course if you're doing it on a full-time basis. At the data school, you are become an employee of the data school and for the first four months, you'll go through intensive training on the Tableau and Alteryx products. Um, by some of the best people in Australia in that in that product set, including yourself, I believe. Uh, not for the product set, but oh, I need okay. some stuff from uh, non-product specific right. stuff from data modelling and consulting skills. Right, nice. And, and, and I'm dazzling, so it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, you are. I, it's that. It's the it's the sequence <laughs> that really make it happen. <laughs> and um, and so you do four months intensive. And then you'll do two years of six monthly payments at major corporations around Australia. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of that two-year period, you're free to do whatever you wish. Nice. So you've been getting paid during this period and you've been getting real-world experience. Um, which you wouldn't get at, at uni. And I just think it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity. Are there any grads from this program here yet? Yes. So the first core cohort has gone through and mm-hmm. they've all been um, placed on six-month assignments. Right. Leading telecommunications and banking organisations. I'm sure you can insert a yes, name. Yes, insert name here. We'll find it. Yeah. <laughs> Beep. <laughs> um, and the other question I was going to ask was um, is it different ages of people? Like, is it just. 20-somethings, or are these people also people reskilling who may have other quals? It, it can be both, and there have been, even in cohort one, there were some people who were, you know, worked for a period of time. Um, maybe they did uh, psychiatry, psychology, I beg your pardon, and then... Psychiatry, uh, they could have done psychiatry too. Psychiatry, <laughs> that would have been a really long haul. Um, and so 
it's part of that course, they really enjoyed doing the stats component, but then when they were working as a psychologist, listening to people's problems, they thought it's like, people? I'd rather, oh. I'd, rather, I'd rather get back to the data. So, yeah, so but it's a classic thing where yeah. people have done an undergraduate qualification, may have then done some, some work, and then thought, well, you know, when I was at uni, I was really enjoying the data bit. I'd like to focus on that. Mm, mm. Mm. One of the other podcast uh, guests that I had, uh, my brain is killing, Shailendra Kumar was talking to me about if you didn't do stats at school, mm. don't think you can be a data analyst. You've mm. got to know your stats mm. backwards mm. Um, because essentially it's the same stuff. Well, and so it's kind of fundamental, isn't it? Yes, well... I may disagree a little bit. Oh, really? Disagree away? <laughs> well, I, I think certainly if you wish to be a data scientist and you may do things like predictive analytics, then of course you have to have a statistical background. But there are people who live rich and fulfilling lives in the data <laughs> space who don't have a uh, statistical background, mm-hmm. especially when 70% of the effort involved in data analysis is typically extracting data from a source system, cleansing and consolidating it, and then populating it into a target system. Mm-hmm. And I've seen organisations where there's one group of people who do the data prep mm-hmm. and then another group of people who could be actuaries or mm-hmm. some other statistical background who are then doing the interpretation and analysis. Yes. Yeah. So is that the difference between a data analyst and a data scientist? Well, a data scientist certainly has to have hardcore yeah. statistics, yeah. especially if you're doing predictive stuff, then you've got to understand those, those mm-hmm. techniques to be able to achieve that. Uh, whereas a run-of-the-mill data analyst can perform analysis. Mm. A lot of questions in life are relatively simple, especially <laughs> if we're trying to work out what happened in the past. Yeah, yeah. So if I'm running a government scheme and I want to know how many people have applied for the scheme, that really requires the ability to count. Yeah. <laughs> but really? obviously if you, can't, if you can't count, then then you're out of the game. Yeah, yeah, but, absolutely. Um, but stats aren't necessary. Depending on the kind of analytics you want to work in, yes. stats can be less, less important. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of course, as we both know, sometimes it's more important that you can communicate about the answers that you find yeah. than that you can put together the complex yes. numbers that make that answer happen. Yes. Because um, you're a big Edward Tufty fan. I'm an Edward Tufty. Tell, me, tell me about Edward Tufty, so as if I didn't know. Yeah, well, so Tufty... Um, Tufty writes books in the area of how to visualise data. And if you're going to get, get the Tufty book or borrow it from the library, uh, there's one called Visual Explanations, which is very good. I like the book so much I named my company after, <laughs> That's after right. that. Um, I was so impressed. And the books themselves are just beautiful books. Mm-hmm. And there's a wonderful um, map overlaid with uh, a representation of Napoleon's army marching against Russia and you have this big stream of people coming in at the beginning and then when they retreat and return back to France there's this tiny trickle of people and it's a very moving yeah. piece of statistical analysis. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite gripping. So, it was Tufty so Tufty was kind of like the original infographic. Yeah, though um, uh, people would go back to it. I think his name was John Snow, who was a doctor and epidemiologist who was mm-hmm. looking at the spread of cholera in a community in, in England. And by making markings on a, on a map where the cholera outbreak was coming, he was able to work out that it was a particular public water fountain that was the transmitter of the cholera. Oh. 
they closed down that fountain and the cholera went away. Wow. So I think that was around 1812. Um, yeah. Around the time that Napoleon was marching on <laughs> that's Russia. Right, yeah, that's yeah. right. So, so, and that's an example of spatial analysis. And we often think spatial analysis, you need to have um, equipment, you know, heavy duty computing equipment, but now you can do it with pen and paper. Just and, ask people. Yeah. And yeah. put dots on a map. Yeah, yeah. But Tufty is a great exponent of making people aware of how to represent information visually in a way that's impactful and easy to understand. The other author that I really like is Stephen Few, F-E-W, and mm-hmm. he's got a book called Show Me the Numbers. Which okay. Is, Show that, me the numbers. And I would say that's a compulsory read if you're yeah, going to yeah. work in the data analysis oh, okay, space. cool. Yeah, yeah. 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 How, because um, I know that you have an association at the moment with Tableau and who are in yeah. fact... Yes. Show do visualizations of data. Yes, yes. How important do you think that is for for people? Mm-hmm. So let me just take a step back and say, yeah. well, what is the most important thing when we're looking at data analysis? And the most important thing is that people make decisions and perform actions. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the whole exercise is pointless. So I yeah. can use a beautiful product like like Tableau and create a great visualization of the data. If that doesn't drive any decision-making and, and, and any actions that cause a change to occur, then it's really just... It's moot. It's moot, yes. <laughs> it's, it's not very important at all. And so we want to begin with the problem and then work backwards to say how best to visualise the data so that we can make sense of the data to answer the problem, to make a decision to cause an outcome. And so I'm with a company called MIP, and two of their leading products are in uh, uh, products. Uh, three of their leading products are in the space of uh, preparing data, and it's a product called Ultrix and one called Westgate Red. Mm-hmm. And then the visualization is around the Tableau product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So essentially, no matter how pretty it is, if actions aren't taken, if people don't understand what it means, yes. and therefore take action. Yes. Because which brings me to another one of your specialties. Yeah. You hate pie charts. I hate pie charts. And <laughs> Tell me that, about that. Well, the reason, the reason, if if you speak to people in the science community yeah. and you look at scientific journals, nobody uses pie charts. Mm. But this menace has erupted in the in the media and in business. And the problem with pie charts is that human beings are very bad at telling the difference between different angles. So the, mm-hmm. the slices into the pie, you've got to be able to tell that this angle here 13 is 13 degrees than, is bigger than 15 degrees, yeah. 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 And, <laughs> or not. And, and that's pretty much impossible. And the other thing is that there's no axes to help for comparison. So mm-hmm. um, I have a presentation, it's called Pie Charts Are Evil. It's I'll available, link to it's it. available on, yes. on YouTube. And I would have some examples there where you just look at a pie chart and you don't know if A is bigger than B, and you flip the same data into a bar chart and it's quite clear and easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. People can become a bit obsessed with eye candy. And so mm-hmm. if, you, if your intent with the pie chart is to stimulate excitement in the person's brain, well, yes, go ahead and use pretty colours and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. But if your purpose is to explain information for analysis person, purposes, mm-hmm. And pie charts are, are, are terrible. And they're I'm, evil. They're evil. And I'm, I'm shocked when I read an annual report for some of Australia's leading companies, and they'll even have those donut pie charts where the middle is, is missing. Yeah. It's completely impossible to do any form of that. You've got to redraw it. It's, 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 it's crazy. Crazy. It's crazy. Um, so we, we kind of, I haven't even asked you any of the t- standard questions yet. Yeah. Um, can, I, can I come back to a point? Please that you do. made earlier about communication. 
you've got a question at yeah, yeah. what sort of things do you look for when yeah. hiring yeah, people? Yeah. Good, do oh, it. Yes, obviously. Why don't you run the interview no, and I'll just I'll, say, hmm, just, that's great. Yes, yeah, Sand. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, uh, to me, the critical thing is to be able to communicate. Mm-hmm. So if we take the data school example, um, apart from learning Tableau and Alteryx, they also do presentations each week. Ah, oh, yes. Clients come in and they provide a data set and a problem and then come back on the Friday, that's on the Monday, and then on the Friday they come back and the students have to present. So they have to learn the techniques of presenting, presenting yeah. and, and create crafting a story based on the data rather than just showing a table of numbers and, mm-hmm. and not engaging and winning people over. So communication, both written and oral, is key. Mm-hmm. And if, lang- if English is your second language, don't despair, because the effectiveness of your written and oral communication is not so much the words that you're using in that you have previously done clear thinking mm-hmm. and then what you're doing with your writing and your speaking is articulating that clear thinking. So it doesn't matter if you're a beautiful um, essay writer, if you haven't put the clear thinking behind mm. it, then it won't. Exactly. Won't That's one of the one of the reasons I love the Ignite format, the mm. Chachka format, because mm. it says you've got five minutes and 20 seconds. So when you see Glenn's um, PyCharts are evil, uh, it's, an it's, an, it's an Ignite talk, which is uh, Stephen Lead yeah. runs it in Sydney yeah. a couple of times a year. It's five minutes. You have 20 slides. Each one advances after 15 to 20 seconds. I yeah, can't remember. 15 the seconds for 15 Ignite. seconds for yeah. Ignite. And it basically, so you have to think so clearly that you yeah. can distill your message down to something that can be said in five minutes and yes. 20 slides. Yes. And it's a, it's a beautiful way, even if later you do a three-day thing, having a five minute to go, oh, this is the essential. Mm. of what it is mm. makes a huge difference yeah. that clear thinking do they do ignite style pachachka style stuff at, at data school we, we don't at data school but not I do, yet but I, do, I do invite them along so at dharma the data management association at dharma.org.au <laughs> i will link to that uh, they uh we once once a year we have an ignite night format mm-hmm. and i get them to come along to that mm-hmm. and see what's see what it's like and though we're veering slightly off topic here, but um, Cindy, you and I have both done improvisation, as you said yes. earlier. And one of the powers of improvisation is that it puts constraints around you and those constraints then release creativity. Mm-hmm. And so that format of Ignite is... Uh, exactly, for that. All artists use constraints yeah. to basically, you know, you've got to work with what you've got. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, like, I'm only going to use black or... Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it's, yeah, it's the same. Improv is the same and... It's all the same. Everything's the same. Nothing is different. Everything's the same. End of podcast. (laughs) Not end of podcast. We've got to ask some good questions now. Um, So, yeah, so in terms of that explanation and complex explanations, are there any um, models or ideas that you fall back on when you want to explain complex stuff? So there's a book um, called The um, Pyramid Principle. (laughs) By Barbara Minto. Liz, Mar- Liz Moore also mentioned, well, that, the, the pyramid yes. principle, yes. yes. And I find it very effective for most forms of mm-hmm. writing in that it forces constraints upon you about the structure of a story. Mm-hmm. And the structure that it has is that firstly, you have to describe the current situation. Mm-hmm. And then you have to say, what is the complication? So mm-hmm. if, if we're currently going fine as a business, we're profitable on that, then there's no story to tell. But if something happens, 
the price of our, our, our raw materials goes up or some other thing, mm-hmm. then we have a complication that we have to do something about. Mm-hmm. And that invokes the question, what are we going to do about it? And that question is very critical. So if I have a computer system that goes down, what am I going to do about that? Am I going, do I want it to be available 24 by 7 or do I want to have um, good access to backup support within an hour? But so the types of questions that you want to answer then drive the fourth component, which is the answer. So there's mm-hmm. the situation, the complication, the question, and then the answer. Mm-hmm. And that structure I find very, very mm. useful. And I'm, I'm, my colleagues around me, I encourage you them. drill to, them. <laughs> yeah, they give me a document to review. You so, go, so what is the problem yeah, we're trying yeah. to solve? <laughs> I'll, say, I'll, say, I'll say SCQA to them. Yeah. Uh, which is shorthand for situation, complication, question, answer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then they go, oh, yeah, I should have thought like that. I'll, I'll come back. <laughs> <laughs> Frameworks like that I find very useful. Absolutely, useful. and it makes it consistent so so that you can actually find yeah. your way in a document. And it, it, to a certain extent we train in clients by asking, by sh- presenting in a similar way yeah. that clients are starting to think in terms of that rather than in terms of, because uh, one of the things that a lot of my data analysts, data scientists, friends and colleagues, uh, not colleagues, I'm not a data analyst, um, uh, friends and clients say is that um, often the client will say, I want this solution, mm-hmm. but we don't know what your problem is and yeah. does that solution actually answer that yeah. question? Yeah. We don't know. Yes. Um, so... Yeah. Yeah, so it prompts the question, why do you want that solution? Yeah, exactly. You've, you've been in business for 10 years and you, without this solution, what, what has do you need happened a, why do you need, that makes you think you need this thing? Why do you need a concierge now? <laughs> why do you need uh, this particular data trigger set up? You know? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, it's, we love models. We lo- totally love models. Now, I'm going to ask, now you talked, we talked a bit about recruitment, but let's talk about recruitment and what makes a better or worse data person in your yeah. world. Yes. So I'm just putting aside technical skills because I'm going to have that. Yeah, we're gonna, that's the price of entry. The price yeah. of entry. Uh, Curiosity is mm-hmm. critical. So mm-hmm. if you're not a curious person, then you probably shouldn't become get into the data space mm-hmm. because you're just going to be miserable. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you're going to look at a set of data and try and tease out what is this data telling me, mm-hmm. if anything. Yeah, yeah. And, and to put the effort in to engage with the data, to immerse yourself into it, is going to be a real struggle if you're not curious and be mm. living hell. You know? And for many people, sifting through data is one of their worst nightmares. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd rather, they're much better at working with people. You know? <laughs> or or uh, talking to cats. Talking to cats. Or, <laughs> you know. um, so I would be a terrible nurse, for example. Because <laughs> I'm not, you know, I don't want to get that close to people. <laughs> biology and I don't want to generalise what, what nurses are, are like but I've got a sneaking feeling that many of them would not like to be a data person so, yeah. so we have to work towards our strengths so I look for good communication written and oral yeah. uh, and, and curiosity to be mm-hmm. able to yeah. and then that sort of invokes things like empathy and working with the client mm-hmm. and cultural fit and you've got to be easy to work with especially 
in the firms that I work with, we're consultants, mm-hmm. then you have to build a rapport with your with your clients and mm-hmm. um, an understanding of them. And, and your job depends on that rapport. Yeah. Because they can just go somewhere else. That's right. So you could be terribly clever, but if all you do is demonstrate your cleverness to me, then mm-hmm. that's can be quite off-putting. So mm-hmm. you know, there's a whole range of soft skills mm-hmm. uh, that are necessary to be effective. And you've recruited data people in the past. How? Okay. What kinds of things do you do in terms of recruitment processes or questions you ask or do you have a particular method that you like to use? Mm-hmm. Do you have a four-quadrant model with um, some kind of acronym? Yeah. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I mentioned earlier with... I mentioned the data school earlier, and when you make an application, you then have to submit a piece of work that's a dashboard that's been developed in -hmm. in Tableau. And that gets, if it's good, then you get into the interview, and then they'll give you a a, a set of data, and you have to do some analysis on the spot. Mm -hmm. So um, I quite like that just to confirm the person's actually doing their own work, technical skills. So earlier, I sort of Said technical skills are price of entry, but it but is. you'd also want to test those, and yeah, they're easier to, to test than whether you're easy to work with. Yeah, because anyone or lots of people can give good interview, but yes. aren't easy to work with. Yes, yes, that's right. That's right. It's like being on the first stage, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Believe me, I've been in so many of those recently. <laughs> I can tell you, most people are shocking at them. Uh, right. Yes. Okay. Um, most men I've been on dates with, anyway. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. um, so yeah, so you know, that ability to be able to deal with, with the data is critical as well as mm-hmm. so interpersonal skills. And then I like I try to have open-ended questions and understand what they've done before in their previous jobs and right. what examples of what you've done and why it was good. Right. You can tell me something that you did that wasn't so good and why you... And why how you change it, it based on, and yeah. That, yeah, and what you learned from that bad experience. So people who are out there doing things and making a difference rather than sleepwalking through life is <laughs> a key corner. Boy, Glenn. <laughs> in the Sydney CBD, it's filled with offices where people yeah. are just acting in a very mindless way without a lot of commitment to their tasks. <laughs> oh, the world is bleak today. <laughs> And not everybody is. So you've got to find that 20%. You're this room, we're actually at WeWork in Martin Place at the moment, and there is some kind of pattern on the walls. It's kind of looks like a psychedelic experience. It's in black and white, but there's a psychedelic element to it, don't you think? Yes. It's kind of tie-dyed. Yeah. But computer generated, yes. um, and that's probably why we're all buzzy. <laughs> yeah, and the LSD we had earlier. <laughs> oh yeah, the, uh, oh, yeah. Sorry, yeah, but we do that every day. Yeah. <laughs> um, so talk to me about your ways of working smarter, your daily routines, your yeah, 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 yeah. Um, there's a couple of things that I've been doing in recent years that don't have much to do with data and are useful in all sorts of ways, but mm-hmm. I've been going. Regular to the gym, okay. like almost on a daily basis, unless and you I'm look traveling. healthier for it. Yeah, yes, yes, you feel healthier. I feel healthier for it, and um, and I sleep better, and I always try and get eight hours sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, so and as much as possible, eat well. So yeah. I know, this what is does a, eating well mean for Glenn Bell? Well, quite like sushi. I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. Quite, quite um quite a safe option. Mm-hmm. Yeah, plenty of fruit and vegetables, mm-hmm. standard sort of things, and. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm pretending to be a nutritionist. Yeah, yes, you know, no, that's okay. But, Lots of people talk about food. Yeah, but the, uh, yeah, the, 
um, yeah, the, the, the exercising component I, help, I mm. find helps me to, to mm. think. And what kind of exercise appeals to you? Um, well, I go to this gym that's got this spin room mm-hmm. and on the ceiling of the room they have a thousand lights that change colours and flash according to the music and that's quite a... So it's like a day disco? It's like a day disco, yeah, yeah. So it's a... It's quite a bit of a... And, and a spin class? I actually oh, have heard oh, about it, but I don't oh, know what it is. So it's a room full of exercise bikes, so there's stationary right. bikes, and there's an instructor up the front on the podium, and then they'll play the music, and the instructor will say, increase the resistance, get it up to 90 revolutions per minute here, you've got a little thing that tells you how quickly mm-hmm. you're going. Okay, get out of the chair, increase the resistance, we're now going uphill, so you sort of stand. Oh, okay, so it kind of like is a story to it almost. There can be a story to it. Yeah, they, yeah. Try and, well, they try and get you to visualise, you know, you're getting to the top of the hill and that, so make it to Oh, okay. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. Um, my friend, Al- you know, Alistair McGee, Alistair McGee mm-hmm. told me about there's a zombie. You can get a downloaded podcasty kind of thing yeah. where it's a zombie run where, yeah. where you're running away from zombies. <laughs> and so it's like it's, it has literally is a story. So it's, yeah. I don't know, 30 minutes or whatever yeah. of running. Yeah. But like, okay, you're out of trouble now. Just, you know, keep it down to a jog. Oh, here they come. Hurry up. Run fast. Run fast. Okay, great. So just basically having some kind of narrative mm. to your run or your, in this mm. case, stationary bike ride, yes. and the lights going in the ceiling appeal to me somewhat. Yes. yes. But you sweat a lot, right? Yeah, you can. Sweating yes. a lot does not appeal to me. Yes. Apparently it's very important for fitness, but it's not something I, I, I seek. Right. right. Well. So, so that's no, one of your big routines. Yeah, that's one of my big routines. Yeah. And uh, what, what do you do in terms of brain health? Well, how do you keep yourself informed, interested in, in stuff? How do you learn new stuff? Yeah. Uh, well, I read a lot. So mm-hmm. I, I subscribe to The Economist magazine, which I find very informative. Right. Uh, and that's a, a real paper magazine? No, no, no. You can get it on your Oh, okay. You, well, you can get paper, but I get it on, yeah, yeah. on the phone and read it there. It's very convenient. And then I just follow areas of interest that pop up. So I've mentioned James Clear's blog. Yes, I, um, I subscribe to that now, yes. And, and I've, it hasn't arrived yet, but I've purchased his book. Right. Um, and, and so there's all sorts of things. There's Yuval Noah Harari, who wrote 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. Right. He's also written books, um, Homo Deus and um, Sapiens. Oh, okay, right. Which okay. the broad... Um, uh, trends in, in history mm-hmm. and I find those types of writing to be very mm-hmm. stimulating mm-hmm. And, and creating awareness um, and so I'm just sort of following basic trends and what's what's good and, mm-hmm. yeah do you have a podcast you listen to I don't you my, don't do my, podcasts my, not your thing yet uh, not my thing yet but I'll be listening to this one <laughs> My, my brother has a podcast. But oh, does he? What is his podcast about? Uh, he is um, arguing against privileges that religion gets in Australian society. Oh, yeah. wow. So, uh, so have, do you listen to it? I listened to one, but it went for an hour and a half, and they all go for an hour and a half, yeah, yeah. and I think it needs to be 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've discovered that I, I use my, the app on my phone, Podcast Addict is what I use because I'm a Samsung person, mm. and it was the first one that came up on Google Play. Mm. I don't know if it's a good app or not, but I've discovered it's got a playlist so you can literally go cue this one and then this one and then this one and then this one. Yeah. So I just, when I get on the train in the morning mm. or when I leave the house in the morning, I listen to wherever I've been up to. 
Mm-hmm. And then when, so this morning I listened to Katie Couric and Sheryl Sandberg talking about oh. uh, Sheryl Sandberg's book Option B, yeah. but it was in the podcast by Alan Alder. Alan Alder runs a podcast yeah. based on improv oh, yeah. about how scientists can um, communicate more effectively mm-hmm. using improv principles. Yeah. And he interviews people. Um, so that's what I was listening to this morning and then it pushed straight into Shane Parrish's po- podcast where he's listening, he's interviewing an ex nun who's now been in the world for the long, long time and has several children and blah, 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 but is a parenting specialist. And so it just it just literally like I had five minutes of Katie Couric and Cheryl Sandberg because it was finishing and then poof, straight into the next one. So it's just one long, continuous mm-hmm. set of interesting information. Yeah. And if I'm bored, I go, skip. Yeah. Yeah. And I get to the next one in the podcast. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, because, yeah, hour and a half isn't, if you want to listen to it as a unit, that's really hard. Yes. Um, but but I've got to, it, it's yeah. like if I'm reading a book, mm-hmm. I close the book at yeah. the place I'm at. I don't go, I'll have to finish this book before I get no. off the train. No. Although I do have friends who are big in musical, musical, uh, love musicals. I love musicals. And some of them tell me that they were listening to Hamilton, the musical, oh, on yeah. the train. And they literally did not get off because it was like two songs left before the end of the musical. And I'm so sucked into the narrative of Hamilton yeah. that I have to, she, she just stayed on the train to do it. I don't know. Your telephone's portable. Could you have just gotten off the train? <laughs> that's, that's pretty hard. Well, call. continue to listen. That's like, yeah, total fan base. Yeah. So, yes, if your brother's got an hour and a half podcast, mm-hmm. well, the other thing is you play them fast. I'm not yeah. saying that for my podcast. Don't do that for my podcast, but you can play them faster. Right. Okay. Get to the good bits. You get to the good bits. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so uh, we talked about books. Uh, now, what about Television, YouTube, oh, are yeah. there are there stuff that you think of and use frequently? Any, what's your favourite TV show right now? Um, my favourite show at the moment is we're just looking at there's a new series of Star Trek. So <gasps> is there mm, Star Trek Discovery on, on Netflix? Netflix. Yeah. Huh. So um, if you're into science fiction, the um, um, the things I like in, on YouTube are, um, I can't remember the guy's name, but I saw an interview last night with the interview interviewing the CEO of Microsoft, who I found to be quite okay. fascinating. And then there's there's lots of great TED Talks out there mm-hmm. as well. You've got a particular TED Talk in your brain that you there was that this, you recommend? There was this one with this lady who had, who had who was a brain specialist and then she had a stroke. Oh, yes. Well, she had brought the brain out on stage. That's that's one of them. It's been around for a while, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. I think you might have told me about that when it first started, Mm. like when Ted was just like brand new on the internet, that's how old we are. Um, I will find it and link to it. It's fabulous. That was, she she described not being able to dial the telephone because she didn't know what a number was. Yeah, she lost that cognitive ability to communicate even through her fingers. Mm, but had and the then sense she had to relearn to get back to where she yeah, could and now she's a researcher, so yeah. she got her brain back. But she'd been a neurologist before, or she a doctor or something. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah so, that, yeah, so there's some good. fabulous stuff on yeah, here. Very informative. Um, what about career lessons? 
What um, have you, what career, I remember you telling me a story, a boss, one of your bosses had told you about he was a surfer and that when things in meetings got really tricky, mm-hmm. he would imagine that he'd just been dumped by a wave and he was down at the bottom of the, oh, yeah. the, bottom of the ocean right. just waiting for the wave right. to go right. over. Yes, I remember that story. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, there must be some fabulous lessons you've learned because yeah. you've worked in a lot of places. You worked I have, yes. ASIC, you worked in Canada somewhere. I did work for a company called OneRound in Canada. They mm-hmm. did railroad reservation systems, mm-hmm. yeah. So I worked in a large number of, of, of clients, sites, and so um, they're sort of skills that come to mind, uh, things like you know, being well-organised and well-prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I find for many organisations, the skills that seem so simple, such as setting up a meeting and making sure there's an agenda and minutes and people are very productive, mm-hmm. uh, escapes most people. Mm-hmm. And this... It's a crime. Like the most expensive thing I can do in an organisation is call a meeting. If I call six people into a room for one hour, mm-hmm. that's six hours of productivity that's lost to that organisation. Yeah. Yeah. And so it has to be super effective and with a clear purpose for why we're doing this meeting. Mm-hmm. And everything needs to work, like the video conferencing and that sort of thing mm-hmm. need to work. And It generally doesn't. It generally doesn't. So I know this sounds like low-level mechanical sorts of things, but because they're not followed through, the meetings don't reach their full productive value. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'll just give a couple of anecdotes here. So I was mm-hmm. going to run a workshop in a, in a hospital um, and we were doing some information systems planning for them. And normally I write out the invitation that says, you know, this is the purpose of the workshop and this is what we're going to do and this is what we're going to produce. Them. And then pass that to the sponsor to then send out to the to the participants mm-hmm. so that they know it's being organised by the senior person and what's going to happen with their time. And I was at this hospital, and for some reason I hadn't got my invitation to the to the sponsor in time. Mm-hmm. And he, he or she had proactively sent the invite out mm-hmm. to the to the, uh, to the participants. So. I walked into this room, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, Cindy, it's a very unpleasant thing. <laughs> I walked into this room and I could feel waves of hate coming yeah. through. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I, I thought, well, this is unusual. So, of course, I had to confront it and say, what's wrong? And it turns out that the... Because if it doesn't come across in the microphone, Glenn's a very nice man. He's like a nice, polite, agreeable, helpful man. Yes. He's got a really gentle persona. Yes. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. Yes. I'd have to ask Kathy that. Yes. But, yes. So you're not usually someone who gets hostility. No, 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 no. no. And so I asked what had happened, and it turned out that the invitation was, was worded that um, today a consultant called Glenn Bell's going to come along and he's going to tell you how to solve your problems. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> How long did it take you to get the audience back on your side? Oh, I, I think um, for some people, I don't know if I ever recovered from the from the setup, which right. is which is then strengthened my resolve to always try to make sure that I'm the one who writes the the invite. Yeah, um, absolutely. Okay, I know this, these sound so trivial and so low level, but when they're not done properly, then they just well, because it basically creates. Uh, an unconscious bias and there's confirmation bias then. Mm. You know, I thought this guy was an asshole. Look, there's five reasons he probably is an asshole. Because, yes. look, he just said that word. Yes. But if you've been the other way around and like, oh, he seems to be going to be helpful yes. and he's got some information he's going to yeah. share it and he cares what I think, yeah. it's like, oh, look, there he is. He's asking those questions. Yes. Not because he's an asshole, but because he really mm. likes and wants to know what we're doing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So as a data person, mm. though these, are of a, these comments are of a general nature, mm. But I want to do everything when I'm meeting you for the first time to appear 
incredible. Correct. First, first impressions, step. first two seconds. Even before I meet you, that invitation that goes out. But the other thing being that I should look like a professional. I should be yes. well groomed and look like I know, uh, at least at least on first glance, not do anything that is jarring to the person who thinks, is this person really the data analyst? They don't yeah, look yeah. like that. They look like a clown. <laughs> so, so you, uh, you Damn it. Put away your red noses. Put away your red noses. So... Um, you know, all those basic sort of personal presentation and, mm-hmm. and making sure that you're dressed appropriately and, you know, your shoes are polished and all those sorts of things yeah, actually yeah. actually do count. And uh, and it's one of the things, one of the lessons that I impart uh, at the data school, if you come and be a student, uh, <laughs> is uh, these types of skills. Because for many, nobody when they were growing up, when they said, what do you want to be when you grow up? Nobody ever said, I want to be a data analyst working for a consulting firm. No. And no one ever says, I wanted to be a consultant. Mm. And yet often people become accidental yes. consultants. Yes, yes. And there's a whole skill set um, around that. Mm. I feel like I'm getting a little off topic for data No, analysis. no, I don't think that's – I think we're but, all in the same ballpark here. We're talking yeah. about professionalism, what yeah. what gives a – the pattern of professionalism yeah. that means that people don't doubt from the get-go. From the get-go. Um, and that the – risk of sounding paranoid mm-hmm. um, if you are working as a consulting data analyst mm-hmm. or data scientist there are people you haven't even arrived at the client site and there are people at the client site who hate you already yeah and the reason for that is they might have just got these new products like a tableau or Alteryx, and there are internal people who are hoping to use those products and improve their resumes, but they're missing out because this highly paid consultant is coming. Correct, exactly. What, what they perceive to be a highly paid consultant. Yes, exactly. Um, they don't know how many days you don't work in a year. Yes, yes. yeah. And so, um, or if you're a salary consultant, mm. you're not giving the daily rate. So, so just making sure that people are mindful of that, that it's mm. more than just being able to do predictive analytics, it's also all these other forces that you have to deal mm. with to eventually solve the data analysis problem. Exactly. And even if <laughs> even if you're if you're just consulting inside an organization like in a Telstra or a Combank or a NAB or yeah, whoever, right. yeah, you're still disrupting their yeah. daily work. You're yeah. giving them often asking them to do more. Yeah. You're asking them to think about problems that yeah. they just wish would go away. Yes. yes. You're opening up cans of worms yes. for them. I, I call it the the, the the fight for attention that, the, yeah. that people have many demands on their time mm. and this um, you come up and you're another demand mm. and so you're competing with these other things. Yeah. So you've got to make some compelling reason why they should be putting their attention mm. to you rather than these other people who are there. And of course if you don't ask the right questions to get the context you're never going to be able to solve the problem properly yeah. but if they don't have don't want to give you the time to give you the context you can't solve the problem you can't solve the problem you yes. can't, blah blah it's all yes. knock on effect isn't it yes yeah so which brings me back to the my first thing about effective written and oral communications because yeah. if you can't effectively make a case for why this person who's got more demands than time permits, their time permits, there's only 24 hours in a day, then, and you for following my advice to get eight hours sleep, you don't have 16, then then if you can't communicate, then you're not going to be able to win their attention to Mm -hmm. then allow you to take the next steps towards understanding the problem and then identifying the data and then Mm -hmm, creating mm -hmm, a visualisation and making a decision and making something change. Yes, exactly. Our whole, everything predicated upon 
that first thing. Yeah. And if you don't do the first thing, you can't. Everything else is harder to do. Everything else, yes. It's not yeah. possible, but every t- especially in the initial stages, if you slip off, then mm. you you make it very, very hard for yourself to the totally. the track. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, favourite charity? Uh, well, I would say Meals on Wheels. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my, my mother gets meals from Meals on Wheels. And, yeah. very, um, and it makes very, a change in difference to her day? Yeah, it makes it, yes. It's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Cool. And they're very... Yeah, it's one of those organisations that has a very clear mission and they execute well. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're coming up towards the end, so anything you want to talk about? Uh, yes. So I talked a bit about the data school. The other thing that I'd like to share is that's a big trend at the moment. It's got the product category. has a fancy name of um, machine learning data catalogues. Yes. And you know, nowadays you can't have a conversation without mentioning artificial intelligence, but there is a... A set of products in this um, in this data cataloging area, and a data catalog being an inventory of your data assets. Yes. Uh, and there's one product I've been dealing with called Elation. It's mm-hmm. like Elation, but with an A, and it's very. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, Let's just bring some misspelled words into the a, world. Well, they, they all do that because I'm, of Google. I know. Yeah, but the uh, but it's got it's it's. There's always been data cataloging tools in the past, but they've been clunky and difficult to use, and now this newer wave of tools uh, in terms of enabling collaboration and natural language search and all these neat consumer features that people expect in a Google world mm-hmm. and just expect to be able to type into Google some search criteria and find stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's now being enabled to be able to find um, data within the organisation. And if I can, if I can end with an, an, an analogy and in terms of communicating data, I find analogies to be quite powerful. Mm-hmm. For most organisations, imagine I'm preparing dinner tonight and I need some corn and I go to the supermarket, but all the tin cans are spread out over the floor mm-hmm. in a haphazard fashion. When I pick up a tin, it doesn't have a label on it. So I go and ask somebody, do you think this is corn in here? And they go, I'm not sure. So I pull out a can opener, I open the can up and it's beetroot. Uh-huh. So I keep opening cans until I find some corn. Right. And then I take a sniff at it and I go, hmm, I wonder if this is okay. Do you want to <laughs> And I take it home and I hope I don't poison my family. Right. Data in most organisations is like that. You can't find what you need. You can't, it's poorly described, so uh, it's like the unlabeled can, so you can't mm-hmm. understand it. You can't trust it because mm-hmm. that can didn't have a use by date on it. Mm-hmm. And, it may, and, and then the usage of it is fraught. Mm-hmm. And, and I might poison myself. I might poison myself. And so, um, I like that analogy. Yeah, yeah. And so... The fundamental thing is that, like all corporate assets, be they financial assets, we want to be able to govern them. But you couldn't govern your financial assets if you don't have a set of bank accounts that you know about. So how can you govern your data assets if you don't know what you've what mm. you've got? Mm. And the new wave of data cataloging tools um, is really addressing that it's problem. Doing They're doing that. a good job of addressing that that problem. Mm. So the problem, yeah. the, the, the complication, complication yeah. the solution. Yes, yeah, so the problem is um, I can't find the data that I need easily. <laughs> the complication is that the data keeps increasing. The problem is worse. And I want to do something with it, but yeah. I can't. I want yeah. corn for dinner. So the answer is a, a modern data catalogue. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah. And you, you love these new tools. I, I think that one's pretty swish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. I love it. Mm. All right. So... 
Anything you want to say as a final word? No, I think, uh, that's the final word. I think that's the final word. Okay. <laughs> Let's say it's done then. Yeah. Beautiful. This is Cindy Tonkin. I'm the Consultant's Consultant, and you've been listening to Smarter Data People. This is part of what I do to understand how it is that data scientists can be more effective in the workplace, smarter, faster and nicer. And if you have a team and you're finding them harder to manage than they could be, if you're constantly trying to squeeze more out of your budget and out of their time, and if you've got stakeholders or they've got stakeholders who are less than happy sometimes, maybe a lot more than sometimes, it can be really annoying and it can make you feel incompetent. I can help you help them get to the important problems faster, target the wasted time and save you time and money, and ultimately delight stakeholders so that you can feel competent again. It's such a good feeling. Talk to me.